Welcome to the Academy Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing rich content for the purpose of spiritual growth. I'm your host, Claire McKeever Burgett, and I serve as the Associate Director of the Academy for Spiritual Formation, an international ministry of the Upper Room. The Academy creates transformative space for people to connect with God, self, others, and creation for the sake of the world. First things first, did you notice the new intro music? If not, skip back a beat or two and listen again. Our new music is from today's conversation partner on the podcast, Amy Stroop, who graciously offered instrumentals from her songs, Far Side of the Sea, Versailles, and Fearless for our podcast episodes going forward. You'll want to check out all of Amy's music on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your music. I'm really excited to introduce Amy to you. She is my dear and longtime friend, a singer-songwriter based in Nashville, Tennessee, and my former roommate. We talked at the beginning of June about all things songwriting, healing, racial justice, Richard Rohr, connection, spiritual practices that keep her grounded, who she's currently listening to and reading, and so much more. Amy is a Boston-born, Abilene, Texas-raised independent artist who has had her songs featured on more than 30 TV shows, including This Is Us, Parenthood, Grey's Anatomy, Private Practice, Vampire Diaries, Walking Dead, One Tree Hill, and Pretty Little Liars, as well as national TV ads for Calvin Klein, New Balance, Lexus, and more. Amy has released three digital EPs and one nationally distributed full-length solo album entitled Tunnel. She is a member of the 10 out of 10 tour, where she is one of 10 featured artists alongside Andrew Bell, Katie Herzig, Joy Williams, and more. Recently, Amy released a single called This Is My Time, featured on NBC's hit show This Is Us, a song she co-wrote with Mary Hooper, her creative partner and co-owner of their design boutique, Milk Glass Creative. Amy has shared the stage with Chris Stapleton, Kings of Leon, Casey Musgraves, and Ingrid Michelson, to name a few, and is also part of the duo Sugar and the Hilos with her longtime songwriting companion Trent Dabbs. The final three or so minutes of my conversation with Amy features her singing one of her original songs, Fell Like a Feather, so make sure you hang with us till the end to hear Amy's honest, unique, and heartfelt song. It feels appropriate to be recording these opening and closing remarks while in Abilene, Texas, which is where Amy and I first met in early high school, bonding over the music of Patty Griffin. I'm out here with my family in West Texas for a much needed visit after an almost eight month stint of not seeing one another. Listening to my conversation with Amy while in my childhood home and while walking the streets upon which we first formed our friendship feels like a gift feels like a grace. When I sent Amy a text today to say I was in Abilene, she wrote back, take in that West Texas sky for me. I share these personal notes as a way to introduce Amy to you and as a way to remind all of us that while connection has always been important, it feels even more so in these days of living in the midst of a global pandemic and as we continually engage anti-racism work. Maybe this will spur you to send a text to an old friend or to quarantine for 14 days so you can safely drive to see your people. 
Maybe you'll find some new music to dance to or rediscover an author who makes your heart come alive. However the Spirit moves you, my prayer is that we'll remember together that the work of love and justice, the work of anti-racism, the work of spiritual formation is expansive work. And it begs of us to stand our sacred ground, to open ourselves to change, and to deeply trust in the God who marches, dances, listens, learns, and sings along with us. If you're here for this kind of life-changing work, we're so glad you found us, and we hope you'll stay with us for the long haul. Listen on, beloveds. Listen deep. Listen wide. Listen. Thank you for being here and joining us, and um, yeah, just... Thanks for asking. Good to see your face. I know. It's been really cool because for whatever reason, it like when we were all still in kind of the, you know, pre-COVID life, we kept going, well, how do we do these interviews remotely and da 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 and thought we needed a studio and, you know, all that. And then it was like, as soon as this happened, I was like, I can just like, in a way it felt like the world was my oyster and I could just connect with folks like all over. And I saw that in my uh, yoga teaching and dancing is that we started offering classes online and then people were signing in from all over, you know, it was like, Oh, right. You know, it's like a very obvious thing. Um, But anyway, so I was glad that I thought Amy would love to have a, have a conversation oh, yeah. and I would well, love to have a conversation with you. I, I think it's awesome. Like even on Apple TV, Oprah has been doing all those interviews from her laptop. Like the quality yeah. is definitely not own network status. It's just, everybody's like, what's up? <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. Let's talk. And right. the, I love that because you can reach more people and you have access to conversations that don't have to be perfect. And that's so important. It's just people are so hungry for just seeing connection and being a part of connection that it, the, you know, if the screen gets ripply, if there's a pause, it, it really doesn't matter if the, if the content is worthy of being heard. People are more patient than ever with imperfection, which is cool. Right. And actually authentic, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yep. Everybody's in their house and their kids are running through or, you know, my house, Frank's running through and knocking something over. Right. Oh, sweet Frank. <laughs> when did, remind me when you got Frank. A year ago. So his birthday technically was May 27th. Oh. But that was when he was born. So I didn't get him till uh, like the weekend after the 4th of July, whatever that was. So. Okay. Rescue dog. <laughs> well, right? he, he was a neighbor so oh. Kristen Dabbs who manages Sugar in the Hilo's Trent's wife was I've been talking about getting a dog forever but because of my travel schedule I've just felt too kind of guilty to have a dog so mm-hmm. but I grew up with dogs I love dogs I'm a dog person I mean I house sit my friends dogs when they're on tour and I'm home like I'm I've been the babysitter of so many dogs and Kristen just kept texting me this picture of this puppies. Her neighbor had this litter. And I was like, please stop texting me. Please stop texting me those pictures. Because the puppy's another level. Right. I was looking on, you know, Nashville's Humane Society, looking for a dog. And I had gone to a, a anthropology, a friend works there. And she was like, come on. 
Um, there's dogs, there's puppies, and the one I wanted to rescue, a family wanted it, and I saw the kids, and I was like, no, they can have it. So I was like actively kind of looking, and then I was like, oh my goodness, it this one we both just like it was one of those instances. It's like there's Frank. Yep, that's my dog. That's so. awesome, Frank. Where the <laughs> what the name? Where'd the name Frank come from? Well, he had he has blue eyes and. He was he was the one that was asleep and chill and like uh, went over by himself and while all the other dogs are you know wrestling each other and I like picked him up and he just kind of looked kind of like I don't know he just looked at me um, so Frank Sinatra so I named him Frank uh, I like it <laughs> and then the, the baby Frank Ocean. she's like he's more like Frank Ocean than Frank I'm like okay okay <laughs> I like that's him. awesome oh I love it. <laughs> Well, I love to have our folks hear uh, from the people that I'm talking to about kind of who you are, where you come from, and particularly thinking about your kind of spiritual geography. Uh, I think you've probably read Kathleen Norris's Dakota, or at least I know you've, you've heard me talk about it, but she's, you know, really clear about how the land and, and the actual geography from which we come shapes our faith and so I'm just curious how that how that hangs with you and how you would describe your story though you know um faith was definitely a part of our family our spiritual my spiritual background um and (laughs) so um my father was a church of Christ minister and still is and so if you're familiar with that um yeah, it's, it makes up less than 1% of all Christians, and it's diminishing. Um, but he's currently a chaplain. But so faith is a part of our house. Um, my mom uh, became a Christian later in life. Um, and they the reason I was born in Boston, and the reason why they were there is because they were helping a church in Lowell, Massachusetts. And so they were both grew up in Memphis, my father on a farm. And they both um, decided to, they were working with a guy um, in St. Louis named Max Licato and uh, Landon Saunders. And they were really trying to put their faith into action. And if you believe it, you got to do something about it kind of approach. And so um, they moved with a group, a very small group of friends to Lowell, Massachusetts, outside of Austin, and just were a part of a church. A lot of people that didn't think like them for sure. Um, coming from the South. And so they lived there for 10 years. Um, I was born um, there and was a part of, you know, till I was four. And then they moved back to Memphis. Um, And my father worked for the juvenile court system for a year. Um, And then we moved to Florence, Alabama, and he went back into church work. He he was never a um, preacher, per se. He was always the guy that was behind the scenes. He's very pastoral. So he was um, facilitating community groups, visiting sick people, heading up Meals on Wheels. He was very service oriented, which I really respected about his faith. Somewhere along the way, my mother was really burned out on church. And just quickly, um, church obviously promised something. She got her master's in counseling and they promised her a job. So we moved out to Abilene, Texas um, to be a part of a church. they quickly shifted and um, the job kind of went away. They had sold the counseling center, blah, blah, blah. The usual church, blah, blah, blah. 
And so my mom was devastated. And so she was like, I'm not going, which was super awkward. My dad was still active in a part of the church, but she didn't go. And she's like, you, you, that was kind of when she said, decide what you want to do. Go if you want. Um, but one thing I noticed in that very awkward time with church and my formation and my own spirituality is my mom was still, she read the Psalms a lot and identified with the Psalms. And so she would be up late at night reading the Psalms and it was very real and emotional for her. And my dad was, you know, at church on Monday. I'm sorry. Well, every day of the week because he worked there, but Wednesday, Sunday, Sunday night. And so our participation was up to us. And so that kind of was very hard, but it definitely formed a more authentic faith in me in what, you know, my dad was saying one thing, was so embarrassed that we weren't necessarily participating like a church family would in the fishbowl you know you got to go and sell the front row we weren't we were like mom was on the back row she was there and probably mad at an elder while dad was you know maybe administering communion um but i took my faith and spirituality really real um and really felt like what i read was if if this is real to you, then you do have to do something about it. It has to be a part of your, um, you know, the rituals you have for yourself and how you see the world. And so from a very young age, even though it was a conservative faith, I was brought up in, um, it's, it's continuously expanding. Um, but at the same time, it was interesting. I remember very, one more short story is my dad would drive us to school and he always had sermons blaring. And you're, this Church of Christ minister was listening to Richard Rohr speaking about AA and how it should look more like, the church should be more like AA in the early 90s. So I was hearing Richard Rohr mm. next to very conservative preaching at my local church. And so, I don't know, I just thought it was interesting. Um, and it has definitely informed, you know, where I am now, so. Yeah. Yeah. And from Abilene, you went, you, that's how you ended up in Nashville, yeah? Yeah, so I went to, my parents basically said, if you leave the state of Texas, we want you to go to a Christian school. So for me, I knew I wanted to do music. So that meant LA, New York, Nashville. I was drawn to songwriting and from what I had seen and all the documentaries I grew up, you know, watching and reading, songwriting happened in Nashville. Kind of the business happened in LA and New York, but songwriting and recording, my favorite records were probably somewhere there. So I said, okay, I'll go to Lipscomb University because yeah. I wanted to go to Belmont and I tried, but I didn't get any scholarship and Lipscomb gave me based on ACT and other things, full academic. So I knew, hey, I can go to, I could be in Nashville, can go to Lipscomb and my parents will be like, great. And I can, you know, start doing my thing. So that's why I came to Nashville for school. Yeah. Well, and of course, full disclosure, uh, you and I have known each other since the Abilene days. Yes. Um, probably since we were, I don't know, 14, 15. And um, have just continued in our, Friendship. We were roommates here in Nashville for a little time while I was at Vanderbilt and you were doing all of your songwriting and beautiful creating. And those are some really, of course, special times and memories in my 
wife and um, I have often told the story, I don't know if I've told it on here, but of how you introduced me to Patty Griffin, who is my, and when we were in high school, um, who is for folks who don't know her, just an incredible uh, singer songwriter. Um, and, you know, I call her one of my, one of my saints, one of my guiding saints that has led me to life and life abundant time and time again. And, uh, but yeah, that's all because of you. Cause I remember being at your house out that's there. Crazy. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Way out there. Yeah. yeah. Your, your house out in the, um, on the, on the plane <laughs> there. I don't know. You know, it was very dusty, very flat in Abilene. Oh, and, um, <laughs> and you saying, Hey, you need, you need to know this, this woman and, uh, this creator. And I latched on and said, Whew, this is incredible. So, course I remember I have fond memories too that was when the the Dixie Chicks were in their kind of heyday and we kind of hung out at, you know with their rhythm oh, and yeah. their music anyway there um, how I discovered her myself I, I went to a show in Dallas and Patty opened right. and I was floored when are you ever floored by an opening act I mean yeah. her voice her lyrics I was floored. I was I was telling everybody about Patty Griffin. They're like, didn't you yeah. see the Dixie Chicks? I'm like, I don't even care. Patty Griffin. <laughs> right. And the Dixie Chicks, of course, have sung many of her songs yeah. on their albums. And anyway. Thank so, goodness. Yeah. Oh, I know. Beautiful stuff. Well, of course, I've shared some about you, your formal bio in the intro and everything. But I'd love for you to tell us something that we wouldn't find on paper or on a website about you. Oh, my goodness. Um <laughs> I don't know, guys. Um, I I love writing songs, and it has taken me literally all over the world. Um, and it is this weird, curious obsession with the power of putting together the perfect word against the perfect melody and just seeing what happens. And that's my, you know, great love, and it's what I chase. And I don't know if you know you would read that somewhere or not but that's that has you know when you think about the music industry it's like the riskiest silliest thing to be a part of and it's a complicated thing to be a part of but somehow i've been able to navigate and, and participate in it professionally for over a decade which blows my mind to be honest and um yeah, and I've I've had I had a, a guy named Jerome Spence. He works at uh, Secret Road, which is a company that represents my music out, out in LA um, for television and movies. And he goes, he was like, Amy, you're not gonna, you're an all star, but you're not gonna go in the front door. You're gonna go in the back door. And like I remember he told me that years ago, and I was like, oh, I hope you're right, Jerome. And I, I really, I mean, he saw something in me that I really appreciate because it definitely gave me fuel to keep chasing, even if I had to go through back doors and not do, you know, music the traditional way as far as record deal and the publishing deal. Um, I've been independent this entire time. And so um, I just appreciate people like him who are definitely believers and allies. Um, but yeah, so... So yeah, I don't, I don't really know. So we were living together when I think it was your first song was placed in like a, in on Grey's Anatomy. 
right? Probably. Yeah. It, my first placement was in Brothers and Sisters. But yeah. Okay. Okay. And That's then I think hard. it's like Grace came pretty quickly after that. Yeah. So two, um, of course, big ABC shows. And anyway, we that was when we still watched TV live. <laughs> Remember? Oh, yeah. We, we had a party. I was like, you guys, this is happening. Right. It was amazing. So that's cool. Um, so I'm curious, tell us more about Richard Rohr. And you said, you mentioned that earlier and how you're hearing Richard Rohr uh, in the, I don't know, mid to late 90s and shaping you as a human in this yeah. world. And um, who else, who else were you introduced to? Uh, I know you love Henry um, Nowen. Henry Nowen was, I mean, I remember reading Henry Nowen in eighth grade and that was because of my mother. She mm-hmm. loved the kind of the silence and solitude approach to spirituality. Um, and another thing that I respected about my parents is they didn't just read a lot of people only read denominational appropriate literature. I mean, they were Church of Christ reading Richard Rohr. That's just not, you know, yeah. that's that's very broad. And I appreciate that because I, I do too. Yes, you know. Um, but Anne Lamont um, is one of my favorite all time, not just on spirituality, but her book Bird by Bird really I, is formative on how I approach writing. Um, you know, so growing up, those were those were the people that were informing um, my spirituality and what it looked like for sure. And still, I mean, I, you know, have been working on reading um, Richard Rohr's latest book, um, The Universal Christ. And man, just the ideal, the ideas that are in that and how I love the idea that it that God universe is much bigger than we could ever think or imagine it's scary to think of your faith is so unknown but i love how he approaches it with mystery and curiosity versus like that can't be you know and just kind of raises more questions than puts periods on truth yep that's it that's how it is next you know Mm -hmm. and so i just love his approach to expansion and um you know, curiosity really. But so that, yeah, those are a couple of my favorites. Yeah. How has curiosity and sort of this openness influenced the way you write music? Um, you know, Madeline the Eagle, she's another one of my favorite people in the world, she, uh, how she approaches writing and spirituality. And she talked about, when you're when you watch a child at play, they're never they're always kind of lost and free and kind of twirling and you're like, who are they talking to? What are they even imagining? And I truly feel that when I'm really in the flow and I'm writing songs, even in a co-write with other people, and the, the people that I really love to write with, that thing happens where you're kind of just spitting these things back and forth and you're not even consciously necessarily format for formalizing them or i don't know if that's the right word but you're just kind of taking and putting out and then adjusting after and a lot of times my favorite songs i will say where did that come from you know Mm. um but it all is in a sort of container around you know melody and structure and 
you know, it's really editing the flow versus having this, you know, a lot of people, they're formula writers. They're like, we have to say this, we have to do this. And then your course has to reinstate that. And I've been thankful to be a part of a lot of rooms where there's a little bit more freedom than that. And if you say something, there's a Thoreau quote. It's one of my favorites. Um, it, it's like a, a great novel only needs one true sentence. And that's kind of how I approach songwriting. It's like, if we can say one true idea in there, let's color it in some different ways. Maybe then we haven't, you know, that's not kosher at a radio or something. Um, so it's, it's, I, I feel blessed to be part of the side of the industry that kind of allows for more than that, more of that, um, the more television soundtracky stuff and just the independent being independent you you do have more freedom to your music may not be mainstream popular um but it is a space for more freedom of expression for sure there's not as many like rules yeah um, does songwriting and ever feel like spiritual practice to you absolutely um and a lot of times it's after the fact like I, I we write i'll write a song and then i'll read the lyric down and, and then i'll see what it see what it was more about um but yes i think songwriting has allowed major healing in my life as far as processing and metabolizing emotions and processing and metabolizing relationships and I think that all forms our spirituality. Um, I think a lot of the feelings that I felt, if they didn't have a way to release, then I would be a completely different person. I'd probably be a lot angrier or stuffed or something, but songwriting has definitely been a way to kind of see what, see what I really think, you know, see what, how I really feel and look back and, you know, sometimes the songs you, you go that maybe that was just for me. And then sometimes songs are maybe this serves, serves something else, you know, and that's usually the ones that get released. Yeah. So how do you um, handle yourself or inner critic? Right. So, I mean, we all have it. Oh, yeah. Mine's <laughs> loud. <laughs> I have a pretty loud one sometimes, too. But, yeah, so how do you, how do you welcome it? How do you um, acknowledge it? And, and what is its role, do you think, in your creative process and the spiritual process? Sure. Um, I call mine my inner manager because, mm. to be honest, I'm also a part of the ACA community, which is Adult Child of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. And that inner critic is critical parent is some language that I like to personify it with. Of, here's what I'm learning, and I'm still, I'm definitely not a master of it, but I'm learning this criticizer or this manager used to serve that little kid to keep it safe per se, but now some of the things that's screaming just aren't applicable because the little kid has grown up and maybe can digest parts of the world or um, things that are hard that the little kid inside couldn't, but the inner critic, and I don't know if this language makes sense at all, but the inner critic says, watch out, be fearful, you know, all, all the negative things that I'll say, 
don't trust that person. Don't trust yourself. You shouldn't, you couldn't, you're not, you're not good enough. You probably won't be able to do that. If you do that, you'll probably feel whatever those voices are. It's I'm learning um, to go anything else mm. and just write it down. Anything else? Okay. Anything else? And just sort of acknowledge its voice and go, thank you, but I'm going, you know, I'm going to keep going. Or I'm going over here versus, you know, shutting it down and saying, go away. That hasn't worked for me. The yeah. acknowledging and going, thank you. And I'm going over here, you know? Yeah. So my, my spiritual director is Marjorie Thompson. And uh, she and I had a conversation at the beginning of March that I think some of our listeners have probably heard by now, but she talks about, and she has this practice for literally reaching out your arms and bringing them in to give yourself, your inner critic, you know, a really big hug and just like hold it there. Um, and for me in particular, she was leading me through this exercise because I had multiples. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so it was like this really powerful thing to use my body, gather them up, and kind of hold them and nurture them like a little child. Um, and not because I have the tendency to go, okay, you're in my way. So get out of it. Right. It's like, yeah. I'm just going to push, push, push. And so I love, I love that about anything else. Yeah. And, and letting it, right. Like letting it sit. So that's letting lovely. It, letting it scream. And, mm -hmm. but I was, um, there's this place in, uh, Arizona. It's like a emotional wellness adventures thing. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm truly scared of heights. I've climbed numerous mountains, but it's yeah. not getting to the top. It is climbing is my favorite part. I'm terrified when I'm on a summit and I look down or I look out, I seriously shake. So one day we had to climb this like 200 foot pole and jump. And I was like, and you're strapped in, there's nothing that's going to happen, but mentally it was so hard. And the one of the guides was like, just breathe. And I was like, everyone says, just breathe. What does that mean? I'm breathing. <laughs> what does that mean? He goes, think about the exhale. I see you like kind of hyperventilating and just doing the inhale. And he's like, think about that exhale. And so I did and it shifted it's it's also just the release like letting the release happen and so i climbed the pole and jumped which was crazy and i realized that in spite of all of the energy and the sphere is like i can do hard things and i remember taking that on tour with me like I'm, people may think it's crazy but i actually have stage fright but taking that in front of audiences it's like, you can do hard things. You can, you can get on the stage and sink. You're not gonna just mess up. You, you know, I'm always scared I'm gonna forget words. You're not gonna forget words. You can do hard things, step into it. And so just little things like breathe and exhale and, you know, have really been super helpful in doing all kinds of hard, seemingly hard things, but. Yeah, I think you and I were talking recently and both kind of resonated that the exhale is often the most difficult. It really is. Uh, and that's, yeah, very true for me. It's like I can breathe in the stuff, but then like really letting that exhale sink down is tough. 
Yeah. 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 Well, we call these conversations that I'm having here on the podcast holy. And it doesn't seem very holy and healing if we're not really being honest with ourselves about the virus of racism, the sickness of white supremacy. And of course, you and I are talking in a week in which uh, protests and riots over the most recent deaths of Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Ahmaud Arbery in Georgia, and George Floyd in uh, Minneapolis are, are at their peak. And cities here in Nashville, Dallas, New York, Washington, D.C., all over are setting curfews and all kinds of things. And, um, I, you know, I, you and I were texting some last night, and I just was feeling I am committed in this space to talk about how we're actually being anti-racist, what, how we're wa- working on it, because it's really our problem as white people. Sure. This is our work to do to dismantle the systems uh, that are hurting our black, indigenous, and persons of color siblings. And so I'd love to just hear your thoughts about this. And of course, we're also in the middle of the pandemic. We see that persons of color are uh, being disproportionately affected by it. And um, yeah, so what does it look like in the music industry? What does it look like from where you sit? And um, how's it? How is it sitting with you today? Well, great question. And we are in the midst of a collective consciousness of trauma, pain. This is bigger than September 11th for not only the United States, but the world. Like it truly is a moment. And, um, you know, I, I think back to, I don't do, um, you know, New Year's Eve resolutions. Mm-hmm. But this year, I kind of adopted a phrase. Everyone's always like, well, I'm going to do this, this, and this this year. My phrase that I adopted this year was, uh, I wrote it down so I would get it right, but it's Viktor Frankl. And he said, um, I have this note that I keep on my phone called Healing Remind Me, just like to my teachers, just quotes that, I want to, as a human being, be whole. And and I know that healing is not a destination. It's a path. So when I think of racism right now, I know that it's not necessarily a destination of complete elimination, but we need me, everyone walking a path towards healing. What does that look like? My, my quote for the year in his comeback, literally all the time, was Viktor Frankl, he said, between stimulus and response, there's space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and freedom. Mm-hmm. And what I was coming at at the beginning of the year um, was I'm, I'm really tired of Amy um, kind of reacting to anything big or small like a conflict in a personal relationship i'm quick to react i go right into that lawyer mode and mm-hmm. say da, 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 da. see you know and the pandemic like i was you know thinking i i saw myself as a some kind of survivalist like i was like all right 
I guess I need to order these supplies online and da 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 da. And I was like reacting instead mm -hmm. of wait, <laughs> like let's respond. And so now with this unfortunate and tiresome, um, you know, issue we've had with way too many um, with police brutality and with racism, I'm looking at it and trying not to just react. I want to respond. And recently, um, on site um, is a is a basically kind of like a retreat or workshop center where you can go for a month or a week for emotional healing. I went in January for a week to work on my own trauma. It was me and a counselor one on one for five days, and we were going through my own trauma. And, you know, uh, we talk about the the result that I wanted was not like a you know, 360, I'm healed, but a two degree shift, which means I'm walking this way, but what if I walked this way instead, you know, in one year and five years and 10 years, you're, you're looking at this and that's improvement for me in my, in my life. And so when I look at, you know, the issue of healthcare and the issue of um, racism, man, in my own life, what are those two degree shifts, not reacting, but responding? Because I want sustainable change. I don't want like, cool, I just tweeted that. Is it all good? No, like we need to respond to this well. And the one thing I also wanted to site was a lot of us, we sympathize. And, and the difference mm. in sympathy and empathy is sympathy talks, empathy listens. Mm. And for me right now, my response, I'm really trying to listen, like, let me listen to my, you know, friends who are, who are black and are actually experiencing this and listen to their stories. Um, I've got several friends who are, you know, their parents were first generation immigrants from various countries. Like, let me listen to them and let them tell me what they need versus me as a white person say, let's do this. It, it just hasn't worked. You know, it just hasn't worked. And so um, I really, in a hopeful sense, have seen seemingly people who haven't been paying attention. I feel like they're, I'm sensing a shift in a lot of people paying attention. And I think that's super hopeful. Um, and the first step is taking it in, listening and educating, and then let me jump in in my micro and macro ways to be a part of something that would get us on a path of healing. That's, that's my approach. Yeah. I'm no expert. Um, I think a, a one thing I'm learning with my own trauma, it's, it's messy, it's clumsy, it's not perfect. And allowing our friends who get it wrong or right, a little grace to like hopefully get on that path of healing is going to be really key because I think we're all really figuring out there's some major things that have to shift and things that I'm learning systems that really have to be dismantled and uprooted like that we don't even understand yet. Like we see the result, but, but underneath is a big root system that is ingrained generationally. Um, and it's going to take a lot of work to, you know, shift things. And I know I'm speaking in pretty broad language, but what I know is in my own healing and trauma work, this is, there are certain things you, you kind of 
focus on and do and then things that won't like quick fixes don't work you know right. really getting to the root you know if you're an addict it's, it's not your drinking it why are you drinking you know it's it's figuring out the root and until you get to that root you're you're just you know cutting away things that are just reactions to a bigger problem and so you know I, i've been trying to listen to my teachers and people who are leading the field in progress and and thought and yeah and that's that's kind of been my approach um in in the last couple weeks you know so how does daily life look for you right now in the midst of the pandemic and how has it shifted your work if it has uh yeah what is that looking like um i was in la working in early February and I uh, I stopped over in Arizona um, a friend Andrew Bell and and his wife Jill Fortson and Mary Hooper who works with me and Mel Glass was going we were, were going to LA to work and co-write we stopped in Arizona because that's where her family is and I had never been and um, I've been listening to I don't know if you know the New York Times the daily I listen to it pretty often if not daily um, but they were already talking about, you know, Wuhan and different things. And so Jill gave us all face masks and Lysol wipes in February and said, you guys wipe down, we're wiped down the plane, wear the mask. And when I got to LAX, there were so many people with face masks on. And I was like, what is going on? So, you know, I started adjusting early. Um, yeah too because i was on the west coast and already seeing people talk about it and the conversation was real um when i came back to nashville in early march it was barely a conversation um but i was like this you guys you know we need to take precautions and all this um and i started adjusting like doing zoom co-writes which has been interesting um but possible you know um, but, and I, yeah, I started, I, I learned in early March that I went to a friend's one-year-old birthday party and there was someone there who didn't know they had Corona. And then the, you know, three days later was tested and sure enough, it, they had come in contact with patient zero in Nashville. And so we all went into true, true quarantine in early, early March. Um, anyway, so I've been taking it trying to be respectful not just for myself but for other people who are susceptible to it um like you know uh, my my father he's he's got low-grade leukemia he was a chaplain at a hospital i was calling him and saying dad you gotta stop visiting (laughs) i know you really want to go he loves being a chaplain and but i was like you really need to please stop like call people or something or figure out a way to adjust so he eventually did but He's definitely yeah. late to the game. But as early as last week, though, my brother tested positive and his wife for Corona. So he just started that he went back to work and someone there didn't know they had it. And uh, 36 out of 60 people now have it from his work. And so they obviously shut back down. So it's it's been very real. <laughs> it's been yeah. very real. Yeah. Are they doing okay? They've had mild symptoms. Um, I did the leave food on the porch yesterday and, um, you know, step back and then they came to the door and talked to them through the door. They've had mild symptoms of low grade fever, 
no taste, um, weird cough, body ache like flu. Um, but he he was on the fence, and he's like, I'm telling everybody this is awful, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've been – we at the Academy have been part of the conversation since early March as well because we're an international – ministry and the, have these retreats in person, you know, all over the world. And we were, we had our advisory board meeting scheduled for the first weekend of March, folks flying in from Washington state, California, you know, and Johnny and I just looked at each other and we're like, this doesn't need to happen. And then from there, we just continued to look. And for us, it it's a, it's a justice issue, right? Because even if those of us who get it will live from, you know, with it, we're passing it on to other people. And then two, what's like, for us, it was also the question of how are we being inclusive if we hold a retreat and only able-bodied or, you know, healthy, quote unquote, healthy people can come. And and so that is what has continued, you know, to guide us in the conversation and the ways that we're looking at, at how we gather. And, and so, you know, it's funny, I mean, you and I were talking about, you know, Zoom and technology at the beginning. And I, I give thanks for it because we're able to kind of gather in these ways in these spaces uh, that prior to what March, whatever, at least for us at March, you know, wouldn't have done. So um so yeah it's definitely and then you know my parents are in still in abilene and uh that's been tough because dad has all kinds of heart stuff and oh. autoimmune and you know so but they've been you know very wise and staying home and all of that and um we're we're trying now to look at ways that we can maybe expand the bubble just a little bit uh to be able to safely see them but it's just whew. It's yeah, it's complicated. Yeah. Are your parents still outside of Dallas? They are. They're in uh, Farmer's Branch, so it's, okay. it's it's in. It's on that 635 loop, you know. Yeah. Somehow yeah. there's an In-N-Out Burger near their exit, which I think is awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> Only in Texas. <laughs> yeah. California leave. That's right. <laughs> it's so strange. <laughs> well... We've talked so much about all of the things that, and the, you know, I told you that I have these questions prepared and then it's a beautiful thing to see how the spirit leads us. Um, but I would just love to hear like how, what spiritual practices uh, keep you grounded and what does that look like in your life? Sure. Um, you know, I'm one of those people that is very like you and I, I know you're very physical about your spirituality and humanity as far as I know you we dance and various types of inner interactive body work and I'm the same way um I'm a get out and go uh, I feel the spirit if you will when I'm trail running um and so I love to go out and trail run as a spiritual practice um um I love, I, I am a ritual person. I do love going to participating in uh, church services, of course, and just, um, and that's, I guess, changed, you know, over the years of what that's looked like. But 
I am I'm very much into that. Um, as far as other rituals, I'm trying to figure out what even meditation means for me. And the other day I was reading meditation is doing what you're doing when you're doing it. <laughs> and it's presence, right? And so for me, spirituality is being present to my own reality and my own life. And um, it, it gets very like small and simple. Um, it's being in a conversation when you're having a conversation. Make food while you're making food, you know. Um, have be at a table with your friends when you're at a table with friends. It it sounds simple, but um, I've seen myself and my friends so distracted with social media and all these other things to I'm quick to numb and disengage. And so for me, spiritual practices being present where I am and um, yeah, <laughs> it's almost that simple. But I do yeah. the rituals of walking and reading and um and taking in different things maybe a, a tara brock you know meditation or reading an Anne lamont book i'm a very nurture my mind person that's when when i when i read a good sentence or hear a great story that's when i feel alive as a human um and so that's always a part of yeah. you know what are you reading right now and who are you listening to <laughs> i am a podcaster yeah um, I just finished Glenn Doyle's book. A friend from LA sent it to me. It was like, you have no excuse. We're all quarantined. And so I just finished that. Um, the the un Untamed? Untamed, yeah. Okay. I've, I've read her other books as well. Um, she's great. Um, I'm trying to think what else I'm reading. Oh, I'm reading, I'm rereading a book you actually recommended. It's David White's. It's just like a word and then he'll write three or four pages on it um yeah. that's kind of my tabletop book right now my morning wake up read you know that's i read i read a read on robustness this morning um mm. so yes but i'm also a podcaster um i'm thankful that Brene brown is has a her podcast right now um i'm a dak shepherd listener mm -hmm. um, I pay for cable to watch uh, Super Soul Sunday with Oprah. I literally pay for cable to have her. I love That's her conversations. Yeah. Um, they're my favorite. Um, but yeah, so I take in her podcast. Um, other teachers, meditation people, Tara Brock, um, her, she has a, a rain meditation um, that kind of expands my mind if you're if you have something coming up that you need to address um i guess those are those are my and quick ones what, what music are you listening to let's see um i well i just created a new playlist called feels because i was i was wanting there, there's so much new music out there um I, i'm constantly listening to all kinds of music um sia just had a song that just released yeah i'm always curious about her I, I really how she does what she does i'm in awe um but yeah i, I don't know i'm constantly listening um Brittany howard is one of my favorites the the lead singer mm -hmm. the alabama shakes has her own solo project and it's incredible um it came out recently but yeah. tame impala tame impala is one of my favorite bands kevin parker um 
So yeah, I need these recommendations. Cause. Okay, Lucinda Williams just had a new uh, record that came out, and there is a song on there that is incredible. Let me let me go look it up. Um, okay. Oh, yeah, nice. So Lucinda, she just had a had a new one that just dropped. Um, and everyone needs to listen to her, of course. Yes. But um, yeah. So I, I was thinking. There's a song called When the Way Gets Dark. Mm. By her? By Lucinda? Mm-hmm. Okay. When the Way Gets Dark by Lucinda Williams. Um, I was thinking about her earlier when you were talking about stage fright and facing fear because, of course, you and I have seen her before, and she has her words in front of her. Uh, and she's such a – yeah. Like, she is – I mean, you talk about it on – person and just someone who stands there and is raw and says this is who I am yeah she she's not apologetic you'll you'll see her come out and she has this huge binder and it's all of her songs so if someone in the audience calls out you know a deep cut she'll just go find it and say okay (laughs) right she's unapologetic about it yes and (laughs) Witnessing her has helped me as a speaker, a preacher, writer, all of these things to just claim, like, even if I have, like, most of the time, I know exactly what it is I'm going to say, but, like, I like to have it in front of me. Like, it's just a, you know, it's just a, a, like, a security blanket, right? And being able to own that and say, okay, like, do what you need to do, you know? I mean, if that's what helps get the song out, the message out, whatever it is. And anyway, so she's of course been a powerful influence. I know in yeah. both of our lives. So very For cool. Sure. So what are you currently working on and is there a place you want us to follow along or learn more or tell, you know, your latest album? What do you want to tell us? You know, it's an awkward time to release music because usually if you release music, it me it's it's equal to touring and that's just something that you know musicians have had to get creative about as well um but yeah so i i have various projects um amy stroop is me obviously and i, I release on that platform um sugar in the hilos just released it, it's a collaboration with trent Daz. we just released um almost a month ago about three weeks ago an album called shangri-la that we've been working on the last couple of years. And, you know, it, we just recorded it, um, Sound Emporium in Nashville, the old school way, um, last March, which is everyone in the room playing at the same time, no computers, and everything's real. And so that project um, came out um, and super excited about it. Normally we would jump on a tour, um, but that's just not obviously possible right now. So. But yeah, always, always working, um, still co-writing and really looking to the next thing. I have a, a project called Danger Twins that um, I co-produce with a, another writer who only, rec- he's just a recording um, songwriter, so he doesn't want to tour, he never will, he refuses to. But we have a project called Danger Twins that um, ha- that is coming out uh, on, on June 12th is our next like full full release and we wrote all these songs early in the year before any anything <laughs> happened and they're all 
um, super um, positive and we were like, should we release this right now? Could it be awkward? But you know, it's, it's interesting because words are powerful, of course. Um, and I, I remember, um, I can't think of her name right now, but she's an Irish poet that said, you know, they call it spelling because you're casting spells. And we decided we're going to go ahead and release it, even though it's not, it's not a lament record. It's not a sad record. It's actually super happy and positive um, because we also want to put that out there. Um, yeah in the atmosphere as you know it may not be used for you know something over here but sometimes you just need your vibrations up to finish your run and that's super healing as well and so how about you guys go work out to this music you know go dance to this music it, it really is high vibration music so yeah. we're gonna release it anyway <laughs> lovely and that's under danger twins danger twins yeah all right i yeah. like it I'll, I'll look for that too because oh yeah i mean having a dance party at the end of the day particularly in this time where we've all been home together it's like it shifts the mood like that you know yeah. and Ooh, we need that often. Yes, <laughs> so. we, sometimes we need to learn a TikTok dance, you know? That's, yes, TikTok. Oh, gosh. This, I have a, a dear friend who's like my sister who's 10 years younger than me, and um, she started sending me TikToks, and I said, I just I, the, I just can't go there right now. <laughs> I love I'm you. I love going. you more. <laughs> right, I, I uh, love that. Well, Amy, I am, of course – deeply grateful always to get to talk with you and just appreciate your vulnerability, your honesty. Uh, it is very clear that you're showing up and doing the work. Uh, and I mean that broadly and that, that is healing. I know not only for you, but anybody who is connected to you and, and that's such a beautiful gift and I'm appreciative of it and um, join you also in doing the work. And yeah. I'm grateful that we can yeah. grateful that we can uh, know that we're not alone. And um, I was just wondering, as we close, if you would sing something for us. A whole song. I mean, <laughs> I'll play you a song. That's yeah. Be, right. Yeah. So, well, you do lots of things, but um, I'd love for folks to hear. And then, I mean. It, whatever you feel comfortable with. I just. I will totally, you know, audio, whatever, but um, I will totally, I will play the guitar. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> this is a 1962, Gibson calls them LG guitars, and mm -hmm. LG stands for lady guitar. Ooh. What? Because they made a smaller body, and I didn't know what LG meant for the longest time, and then someone told me. I was like, well, that's cool because I, this is my favorite type of guitar. Um, a lot of people play them, male and female, but anyways, I just think they're special. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was thinking about, okay, if I played a song, what would it be? And I want to play Fell Like a Feather. Um, it's a song I wrote with Phil Madeira. And back in the election, um, it was it was right in that Trump thing going on. Um, when Phil got back from a tour and he was really embarrassed by how Christians, seemingly Christian evangelicals were speaking out so much against everything against this, against that. And really 
um, staking their claim negatively. And he got a, he asked, he talked to Emily Harris and said, Hey, what do you think about getting a group of musicians together that don't normally write in the faith vernacular to write songs about their faith and about God and see what happens. And so we, we, um, he asked me to be a part of the project and we co-wrote a song. Um, and he released it on a project called mercy land hymns for the rest of us. And so, um, but yeah, so we wrote a song called Fell Like a Feather, and um, I, it, it basically talks about how, in, and we were having a conversation about what our faith looked like, and, and we were talking about how things that seemingly feel like nightmares, like nightmares instances, and I think about even today, I look outside, and it's kind of nightmarish out there how the transformative, mysterious, cosmic power can change those into new dreams and new visions for our life. And how that when you see something and you encounter light, it doesn't feel all cozy, it kind of rips, it, it, it's scary. Mm -hmm. And so we tried to write that into a song. And so we, got, we ended up with Fell Like a Feather. So here we go. my skin broke out a window pane and finally breathed oh the light came in somebody make it stop can't look at the face of God Wanna give it all I've got, but the light stings as it tears through unbelief. child on the grave of despair emptied my soul of what it couldn't bear oh the light came in somebody make it stop can't of God Wanna give it all I've got But the lies things As it tears through unbelief Thank you. One of my favorites. 
Thank you. Love. Love you. Thanks for listening along with us today. For more information on how you can begin and continue the work of anti-racism, visit the Academy resources page at academy.upperroom.org backslash resources. And if you have questions about the work of anti-racism or about this particular podcast episode, please email us at academy at upperroom.org. Share this podcast with others. May it be a prayer a guide, an inspiration, a beacon of hope, a means for justice in your lives and in the lives of all.